There's no place to escape to. This is the last podcast. On the left. <laughs> That's when the cannibalism started. It was so funny. Yesterday I had Rambo here and uh, the we left the garage door open by accident. And I'm like, where the hell is Rambo? And then I look and then he's just like found he found out how to get himself trapped in the in like underneath a desk surrounded by wires. I don't even know how he got in there. I was just like sitting there wagging his tail, like so cute. All proud of himself. Can't back out now. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Let me try to I gotta get it in this. I gotta get in the mode. All right. It's so hard, right? Because do we have any frog noises? <laughs> I actually really would help if we have like, is there a swamp scape that we can maybe hit here? You know what I mean? Like there's got to be something we can overlay and like, oh, yeah, I'm walking down that house down now. Oh, you could do the born on the bayou intro. That, I feel like that is, we're going to have to pay money. Yeah. 20 seconds. We got something. There we go. Oh. Or at least like a fryer going or something like that. <laughs> You're about to heal the town now, old Madame Lalori. You need to think about what it means through the history of ghosts and New Orleans itself. So you get down there and you get down great up front of fly out of some mouth, Brazil, that dark oil. <laughs> get kind of spooky, on it. Ooh, it's a reed. There's a sharp grass out of here. <laughs> now, watch out, what that snake out there now? <laughs> Well, it's time to get on to Loud Park Out. On the Loud. That's right. This is, <laughs> is Loud Podcast enough? on the. Yeah, Loud. So loud. Because you see, what well, you were going, this is Last Podcast on the Left on yeah. Marcus Parks. That's Henry Zabrowski sure. with. I'm F- in Austin now. <laughs> see? I'm on Austin now. And I'm watching that now. So y'all are going more for like the like the salt of the earth, Louisiana. Oh, yeah. Here yeah. on this episode, we're going to be dealing with. The upper crust oh, of okay. Louisiana. Yeah. Got, the people always sound like they're about to push out a fart. It's a little bit of a fart. I was <laughs> caught on the edge of my rim. <laughs> I'm all of a furniture smasher now. Smasher, yeah. I'm doing my Troy Landry voice. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever watched any Troy Landry or follow him on Instagram? No. No. It's like, I find it's called Swamp Monsters. Fuck yeah. And it's just him going like, not the big gator, no. That's it. The whole thing about how he goes out to the haunted swamps and how scary the swamps are. And the swamps are scary. But mostly just big, big animals. Well, the reason why we're talking about swamps in Louisiana is because we got a special Halloween episode for you today. We're going to finally cover the story of Madame Delphine LaLaurie. Miss LaLaurie! LaLaurie. This is a... One of those. It's upsetting. It is upsetting. <laughs> Highly upsetting. Highly upsetting. It's a historical gold star episode. Also, this is, I, I would say, in true last podcast in the left fashion, I feel like our ghost stories always go one way or the other. They either go a series of like, you know, or exorcisms, which are incredibly sad. Yeah. Just in the whole sad. Usually. Um, ghost sightings, haunted houses, which are largely debunked but have like fun little episodes within and we got like silly little characters well, in the it. Investigators, that's the story there. That's the story. But then this is one where as uh, soon as you pop the top of this story, you see, oh, actually, this is a true crime story. Yes. And they, very close to the uh, to the Amityville horror story where this is like, not only, are there, you know, the ghost stories are one thing, but the creepiest part is the bitch at the center. <laughs> yeah, the reality of the whole thing. Yes. Yeah. 
Well, Madame Delphine LaLaurie is one of the most enduring figures in the realm of American paranormal phenomena. However, LaLaurie is not infamous just because she herself haunts her former home, or rather, isn't the only one who haunts it. I won't be bound go there. <laughs> That's the closest I'm going to do to a Madame LaLaurie. I don't think I'm going to attempt to do it often. I don't know. I, I liked it. Yeah. I do not even go into the house. <laughs> I don't know. I'm I don't know. We'll, I'm see. We'll, see if it, we'll see what pops up. Stamp of approval. Excellent. Or rather, LaLaurie is notorious because she herself created all the other ghosts. And think about how much industry that has led to in the New Orleans area ever since. My God, so many ghost tours. What would these ghost tours do if they didn't have the LaLaurie mansion to end on? Hey, hey, they, they, they're a good reason. Madame Delphine LaLaurie was a wealthy resident of the French Quarter in New Orleans who committed heinous crimes in antebellum America, crimes so foul that her evil deeds seemed to have rooted themselves in the very soil on which her former mansion stands. I, we, so, again, up top, this is not an objective podcast. We don't believe in objectivity. I think it's dumb. <laughs> We are taking the side because of the research that we have done, especially the two main sources that we have kind of used here, which is one was just great. Madame LaLaurie, mistress of the haunted house, is that I, I we are siding on the fact that we believe that these stories are true about her or at least to some degree. To some degree, yes. Now, this isn't one of those. Like, there are certain stories like Elizabeth Bathory where we have no clue whether or not this woman actually bathed in the blood of virgins or anything like that. It would have been a lot cooler if she did. Yeah. <laughs> but with Madame LaLaurie, there is so much evidence to support the horrible, horrible stories that are said, you know, about her. So she's a B and a C. A bitch and a cunt? Yes! I'm trying to be a gentleman here. No, no, you're in the world. Guess what? It's Madame LaLaurie. We don't have to be a gentleman with that (laughs) fucking bitch cunt. Specifically, Madame LaLaurie was a torturer and murderer who exclusively targeted the enslaved people who involuntarily served her and her family and did so in a half-hidden torture chamber right next to the servants' quarters within her mansion at 1140 Royal Street. Beautiful street, beautiful house. It is. It's foreboding. Yeah. Yeah. La Lori's motivations for such crimes, however, are still somewhat of a mystery to this day, or at the very least, they don't have a neat explanation, like many ghost stories do. Because again, this really is, it's a true crime story, it's a ghost story, it's a history story, it's all that wrapped up into one. Some legends say that La Lori's parents were killed in a slave uprising decades prior, and she avenged their deaths by torturing and killing the closest approximations at hand, much like a serial killer will choose a type based on a personal hatred or betrayal. Which is mostly the time we know that that is mostly not true either. But- also... Yeah, but she's considered a serial killer, right? I, I don't know. Well, I, mm. I don't know. It's a, it's a, she lives in a very strange section of, you know, murderer. I mean, crime. Yeah. Just straight up crime. Yeah. Against humanity. Ah. But the slave uprising is but one of the myths surrounding Madame LaLaurie. Honestly, sometimes I think of her, she's closer to a mangala. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Most likely, she tortured and killed the enslaved people in her thrall for the same reason most serial killers torture and kill people. She was a sadist who derived pleasure from the act, and she had a steady supply of vulnerable victims that the authorities couldn't have cared less about. So yeah, I think she was a little closer to a serial killer. Yeah. In Madame LaLaurie's case, 
Her victims could literally be delivered to her house to do with whatever she wished, although, as we'll see, there were even limits to what most people would accept within the foul institution of American slavery. And we'll see. And this is our opportunity right now to say straight up, up top, we're not into it. Not into it. No. Well, I don't approve of slavery. My family was in Poland. Me too, man. We dropped it in fucking 1925 Staten Island, baby. Yeah, baby. I had nothing to do with this. <laughs> I'm going to plead the fifth. <laughs> go ahead and plead a big, on, baby. Plead yeah. a big fifth right Ooh. now. Now, while most serial killer dens like John Wayne Gacy's home in Des Plaines and Jeffrey Dahmer's apartment building in Milwaukee, those were torn down after it was discovered that the structures were true houses of horror. But Madame LaLaurie's home is still standing in the French Quarter. Oh, yeah. Like a big, scary guy with loaded pants. <laughs> like, it really does feel like... And again, it's because you know the story, but as you walk past that place, man, it does feel like it's just... It just looms. Yeah. It looms. Because it's bigger than any other house on the block. Yeah. And then it used to have the Verity Mart across the street, which was like the best fucking po'boy sandwich spot in the entire city. And then several times I had had big sloppy shrimp po'boys sitting on that corner just staring at that house for hours at a time. Yeah, yeah. While the house has been renovated many times over since Madame LaLaurie's day, the bones of her mansion remain the same. The bones! <laughs> the pain and suffering inflicted within these walls have soaked the home with so much paranormal energy that even standing across the street can fill you with a sense of dread and terror. In fact, many people in the paranormal community in New Orleans, which is ample. Oh, it's thick as hell. They wouldn't even enter the Lori mansion if they could for fear that the energies contained therein might prove too much to bear. And that's why we also, big shout out always to French Quarter Phantoms, which oh, yeah. is still probably the platinum tier of ghost tours that I have taken across the United States of America. They are fucking great, but those guys know how to tell a story, especially about the La Lorie Mansion, because we pressed. I was like, I gotta go in there. Like, mm -hmm. what can we do? I try to be like, let's figure it out. And the guy fucking just straight up said, absolutely not. Yeah. Like, I don't go. Yeah. I don't go. Well, no one can go in there. Well, they, I have had, there are, you know, the one of the authors of these books, I believe it was the uh, Carolyn Morrow. She did get to go inside. And people she have did. fucking, ugh, Jack Osborne went inside. Uh, of course he did. <laughs> have you listened to his fuck? Have you watched his Portal to Hell show? No. no. Who gives a shit? I right. mean, not to, uh, not, I guess not to, I guess we, I don't know if we're ever going to run into him, but it's just the show is, I don't know why. Why do they keep giving him paranormal shows? <laughs> just like, just go live, do anything else. Yeah. But yeah, it's boring. Yeah. He's a prince of darkness. He's not, though. His father is. He's His father's the king now, no, right? Well, no, he's uh, he's just very... He, I mean, eventually, he's going to have to... Ozzy has to become the king at some point. I don't think... I. You know what? I think prince is kind of fun because you don't have all the responsibility. It's a lot of paperwork. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and maybe Jack Osborne is like a duke of shade. Yeah, dukey of... Dookie, you fucking poo-poo. <laughs> Fuck yeah. yeah. Barking at the moon. Honestly, though, if you have an offer for us, Shaq, we'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we get into the ghost stories, as well as the facts and myths behind Madame La Lorie, let's acknowledge our sources today. The first is Madame La Lorie, Mistress of the Haunted House by Carolyn Morrow, while the second is Mad Madame Laurie. Yeah! yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just sound like a fucking wrestling woman. Mad Madame Laurie! You gonna get that gumbo in your twat! 
<laughs> just got like a fucking two by four. Fucking <laughs> 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 like tag team with King Kong Bundy. Yeah, yeah, big fucking. Yeah. God. That one's by Victoria Cosner Love. And we also borrowed a couple of ghost stories from the website for Ghost City Tours in New Orleans. But while our first book is more dry, it is, it's dry. It is dry. <laughs> Not but when I, Marcus was done with it, I'll tell you that. <laughs> is it the tears? I, uh, I was very, like, I read this book. You know what I appreciate about that book? Is that it, it goes example by example why we know the things that we know yeah. to be sure and not sure. But it is a fucking slog. Yeah. But it's far more reliable when it comes to the actual history behind Madame LaLaurie. However, while the myths are legion, the truth is still a harrowing and fascinating tale. Dude, because the the exaggerations of the fake version of the story, like kind of like, you're like, ah, all right, that's how I kind of feel reading it. But the fact that the shit that we know that happened happened is uh, it's bad enough. Oh, yeah. Now, few people are allowed within the La Lurie home today because it's been a private residence for decades. But as I said, even those who stand on the New Orleans sidewalks outside of the La Lurie mansion report dizziness, nausea, chills, and feelings of anxiety. Well, they're just not used to eating all that thick food. That's the thing. And then they've been <laughs> you know, there's all these cream sauces. Oh, yeah. And and like, walking for miles. Yeah. 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 No, I, I went, I hadn't eaten all day. Was I hungover? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But... I, it was creepy. It's creepy as fuck. It's creepy. Yeah, yeah. Dude, it's creepy as fuck. You well, go over there, you know. Yeah. I mean, when we visited the Lollery Mansion years ago, just looking into the vestibule gave me the feeling that I was staring into the gaping maw of some earthly hell. The only feeling I could compare it to, it was like when we visited Auschwitz. It was like, it's like it's staring into a place of pain yeah, and two, misery. Like it just fucking emanates from it. Two out of five stars. What, Auschwitz? Yeah. Uh, yeah, not fun. What? You know, you know, uh, you know Dr. Mangala, he puts the owl in Auschwitz. What do you think? What do you think? (laughs) (laughs) Accurate? (laughs) Correct. Correct. Very accurate. Just the truth. Just the truth. Hidden inside the yuck. (laughs) Well, according to those who have been inside the house, moaning can be heard from the room where LaLaurie committed her tortures. The chains that her servants were forced to wear constantly can be heard dragging through the home, and phantom footsteps follow you everywhere. Concerning the standard paranormal fair, the area where LaLaurie's Chamber of Horrors was located is said to sometimes admit the rank odor of rotten meat often associated with particularly strong hauntings. And a dark, heavy energy persists almost 200 years after LaLaurie's reign of terror ended. You know, if it's going to be anywhere, this is one of those places. If there's going to be ghosts, if ghosts exist, this is where they are. It's a spot. It's like here in, like, castles. Yeah. Yes. But while all those paranormal experiences obviously come from the victims, it's said that the house is also haunted by Madame Lottery herself. She built that place hand by hand, brick by brick. Mm-hmm. Or she, I mean. She had people. To <laughs> she had people. To A spirit medium who was let into the house in 2005 claimed that LaLaurie's spirit pervades the entire block as if she's still trying to keep control over her domain. You keep yelling now! You keep yelling! (laughs) That's a close... I can't can't go in too deep. (laughs) Go go in deep. Say, okay, say I'm a a drunken frat boy and I'm wandering off from the French Quarter and I'm looking at Madame LaLaurie's house. You gonna keep yelling! 
<laughs> That's what I'm hearing. I'm hearing, you yeah. don't get out You don't get, get out of here now. <laughs> as far as the hauntings of La Lorigo, the house was briefly converted into an all-girls school exclusively for black children up to the age of eight during the Reconstruction era. It's a bad idea. To put it there. Yeah, yeah, really yeah, bad. Well, this is you remember. There, well, we'll kind of go into why that happened because there was a period of time where there was a uh, they tried to kind of dispel the rumors about the house and and the, even the story itself for a period of time. And I do think that uh, these had owners that bought it and turned it into sort of a giant, almost hospital-like, asylum-like building. But despite knowing nothing of the building's past, the girls would often come to their teachers with mysterious scratches and bruises. When the children were asked who did this, their answer was, invariably, that woman. Not good. That's horrible. Now, there are some who say that the ghosts of the enslaved people have long since moved on, and the only spirit that remains is that of the evil Madame La Lorie. But others say that the spirits of the enslaved stay to torture La Lorie herself and to ensure that Madame La Lorie's spirit never leaves 1140 Royal Street. Because it's one of those, because she didn't die in the house. No. So I, But I can see the imprint of it maybe being a thing. Ah, but Abraham Lincoln did not die in the White House. No. Wait, did he? No. No? I think he did. I think he did. Yeah, he, he didn't died, die. Yeah, he died like two days later after he got shot. Yeah, yeah but I thought he died at like a Krispy Kreme. Where did <laughs> Abraham Lincoln die? <laughs> put it up. Yeah, it doesn't say. Peterson House, Washington, D.C. So it wasn't the main house. Yeah, oh, okay. but ah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But does not Abraham Lincoln, Honest Abe, haunt the White House? Or at least the theater. He, yeah, yeah, he's around. He's got the Lincoln bedroom. The Lincoln bedroom, yeah. Uh, yeah. Does he haunt the Lincoln bedroom? Yeah, you the never people, heard, Oh, you, you never heard, heard that? that? I've been in there. I didn't see it. We were going to do a whole episode called Haunted Presidents, but it was just more like, yeah, I saw Lincoln standing there. <laughs> and it wasn't that, that's it. But it's, yeah, he shows up at the Lincoln bedroom. People have said a couple of celebrities have talked about because sometimes if they are allowed to go visit Washington, D.C., in the White House, they'll let him stay. In the Lincoln bedroom, I think it's because Bill Clinton's got cameras in there. But like the rest of the time, the like people have multiple times people have seen Abraham Lincoln just yeah. hanging out, just going, I wish I could be gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what's sucking dick like? <laughs> Who wants to go on a walk? <laughs> Who wants to go on a long walk? Where's <laughs> oh, Speed? Give me, oh, give me Mr. Speed. Live from your grave. Now, make no mistake, Madame LaLaurie was indeed evil, although the tales of her crimes had been made far more lurid over the years than they truly were. But for completionist's sake, here is the short version of the story, told at the near maximum level of sensationalism. Oh, yes. It's said that on April 10th, 1834, Madame LaLaurie's mansion on Royal Street caught fire during an elegant dinner party. But when the firefighters entered the room to extinguish the blaze, they found seven enslaved people chained up in a secret room. The men were stark naked with their eyes gouged out, their fingernails pulled off at the roots, their lips sewn together, their tongues sewed to their chins, their hands cut off and sewed to their bellies, and their joints pulled from their sockets. The women bound in chains were found with their mouths and ears crammed with ashes and chicken intestines, and some had been smeared in honey so as to attract swarms of stinging black ants. Their intestines were pulled out and knotted around their waists, and holes had been drilled into their skulls where a rough stick had been used to stir their brains. Some were already dead, and some were unconscious but all had been there for months. Likewise, 
the room had obviously been used for the purpose of torture for years. And this bitch was having, like, dinner parties while this <laughs> again, was going on? This is the, again, this is the exaggerated story. This is the legend, yes. Oh, okay. Reportedly, when it was those... lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, that's when I get really crazy. Yeah, just lunch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Never dinner. Dinner's my time. Reportedly, when those who were still alive were carried out to receive medical treatment along with the other mutilated corpses, the crowd that had gathered for the fire were so outraged that they stormed the mansion and demolished it thoroughly. Madame La Lorie, meanwhile, had escaped soon after the fire broke out knowing that her chamber of horrors would no doubt soon be discovered. The mansion was sold soon after, and workmen reported the moans of spirits coming from all over the house as they repaired it. But when they finally pulled up the floorboards, they found dozens of skeletons and freshly dead bodies. The underside of the floorboards had deep scratch marks in the wood, for unbeknownst to anyone, Madame La Lorie had kept a dungeon underneath the house from which she could pluck further victims, and all had starved to death because their dying moans were thought to have come from beyond the veil. It's upsetting. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Yeah, I'm glad, I, I thought you, you were going to slow clap, you, you got, but I'm really glad that you did. <laughs> you got a Halloween joke for us, Eddie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I figured we'd bring some Halloween jokes into it. Yeah, just break, uh, yeah. break, it, break it up a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Come on. Uh, do you know uh, how they got all the blood to rush out of the elevators in The Shining? Oh. oh. They had uh, Carrie sit on top of the elevator. And this is why I mean, I'd rather the slavery. You know what I mean? I'd rather the slavery than Or what does Jack Torrance drink when he's out of whiskey? What? Red rum. <laughs> yeah, that's Dummies. good. That is really good. That's really, good. That's really, really, that's good. really good. That's really good. That's great. Thank you. No problem. No, there are some truths mixed in with these myths. There are surprisingly more truths than you'd think there would be. There really are. Mm-hmm. But while the extent of the torture and mutilation was exaggerated to the nth degree as the years went by, some of the details I mentioned are absolutely real. You'll just have to wait until the next episode. To find out which are which. Got you, fuckers! (laughs) (laughs) No, it's it's not like you don't have a fucking all-knowing, all-seeing box in your fucking pocket at all times. Whatever, man. Hey, man, I I will say that is one of those things about this topic is that I love our fellow podcasters. I love everybody else who's out there, but it is so difficult to get to the actual information about the story because the myths are often repeated, or it's the other side, which I do understand. There's a whole debunking side of the two, which kind of muddies the waters. But those, the book that we read, the main source, that is the the real like the that's got the as much of hard, much of the hard data that could exist. It has, yeah, and it points more towards it being more real than not. Yeah. Now, as far as the truth goes concerning Madame Lalaurie herself. Her story is inextricably wrapped up in the history of American slavery in the Louisiana Territory. Now begins our five-episode series, talking about the history of slavery. No, don't worry. These three white men are not going to do that. But we're going to do a quick sum up? No, we're going to no, we're going to get context. This is merely context in the for the Madame Lalaurie story. Yes, you got to say something. Okay. <laughs> we gotta say something. I gotta say something. No, I'm, I'm just waving my comedian white flag. Uh-huh. You know, yeah. being like, you know, 
Uh, I say Louisiana in particular because the laws and unwritten rules surrounding American slavery, which had a centuries-long history by the time of Madame La Lurie, differed from territory to territory in antebellum America. I really didn't know that either. Like, I didn't either. That book breaks down, obviously, it's just one source that kind of talks about like what it was like in Louisiana specifically, but it's very, it is interesting. So where was it the worst place to be a slave? South Carolina. Uh, yeah, that makes Char- sense. Yeah, I could have probably guessed that. Yeah. 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 Charleston's bad. Man, there is like a feeling when you're in Charleston. See, that's what I fucking you know, I, like, I, I did not. I did not. I was also not a huge fan of Charleston. I I love the people the, and the viewers. We the can't wait to come great. back <laughs> 2024 when we're back there live. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be great. But yeah, it scares the shit out of me. No, Charleston has an aura. It has a heavy air. Again, it's got that feeling of like all per- this all pervading feeling of pain and suffering. Well, that and they still fucking hate, you know, like the Rifle Club in, in Charleston, South Carolina, which is like their Kiwanis, and it's got like a bowling alley, and they all hang out. They just added the Confederate flag, like, Great. eight yeah. years ago. Cool. Like, they cool. just started fl- They just, <laughs> the old-ass fuckers it's just been- voted to start flying the Confederate flag. You say hate, I say they're just rooting for losers. <laughs> That's <laughs> the problem, man. They lost. They did lose, man. They tried to steal half the country. I don't know why people like these fuckers. I don't know. <laughs> I also only mentioned the rules and laws because they played heavily into Madame La Lurie's treatment of the people she enslaved. Plays heavily into how her crimes were able to go on so long and why people reacted the way they did when they discovered what she was doing. See, back then, slavery was seen as an economic necessity in colonial Louisiana, just like it was all over the South. But slave owners and slavery supporters could also conveniently point to the Old Testament to justify their great crime. And I can't wait to see the current, uh, just that's just the idea of like, you're finally, you're in court and you just have the Old Testament with me like, listen, no, listen, yeah. you gotta read this story, <laughs> Noah fucked his sons. <laughs> it all makes sense. Well, the passage from Genesis that was most often cited was a story from Noah, he of the flood. Yeah. See, one day, Noah got- That fucking guy. <laughs> Russell Crowe. Yeah. yeah. Love, love the Noah movie. If you get a chance to watch it, it's a lot of fun. The soundtrack is unbelievable. It is good. Natalie was in Noah. She was a stunt uh, person in Noah. Really? Yeah. That's fucking cool. Was she a rock monster? I, she just- <laughs> Well, they cut all the good stuff. It was a whole sci-fi movie. They cut all of the shit well, out of it. they kept the rock monsters. A little bit, but yeah. Mm. yeah, yeah they yeah. backpedaled. I love the- but, the but the score was just sound like it was saying Noah over and over again. Noah! <laughs> Noah! <laughs> well, one day, Noah got drunk as he was wont to do. Amen. If you're a, if you're a scholar of the Bible, you know that Noah got drunk. Noah was an alcoholic. It's in the movie. Noah then went to his tent, got naked, and passed out. That's a father's right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he's in the tent. Yeah. That's the whole point of the tent. Well, checking in on his dad, Noah's son, Ham, saw Noah, quote, Ham, 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 down. But it's, there's also weird. Had you not? No, I I say, I saw him naked once. Mm -hmm. It's rough. But then there are other, but you know what it is? I feel like in this is that he saw him with a night based hard on. (laughs) And I think that's a lot to take. Yeah. And and Noah was old. So you know how, like when you get older, you're 
penis gets gray. Imagine yeah, yeah. his. You know, oh, he's yeah. probably white. Ooh, yeah, because yeah. he was like, yeah, no lived to, what, 800, 900? Ooh, God, like with that? that fucking long, fucking weird, thin oh. dick look like gravity pulling yeah. it down. <laughs> further I always further. think about that when they have a very old man in a porn and he's just like, his balls are, look like fucking Poltergeist, the, the, the guy from Poltergeist, the preacher. Yeah, when <laughs> he was bringing them two by two, he was actually talking about his balls. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ham then went to his two brothers and said, hey, I just saw dad naked. And this apparently was naughty gossip, hmm. which Ham's brothers didn't appreciate. So Ham's brothers went and covered up their naked drunken father without looking at his body at all. Because that's what a true son does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so when Noah woke up hungover, Ham's brothers told Noah that Ham had indeed gone into his tent the night before. What? And lo, he had indeed seen Noah's dick. My dick? And his balls. My balls? Now, according to some scholars. <laughs> not my balls. Pray me. Pray. Pray tell me, son. Please tell me he did not see my asshole. Because that is an unforgivable crime. Because it belongs to God. Well, according to some scholars, it was actually a serious matter in ancient Babylonia to look at another person's genitals for any reason. I so, thought Babylon was supposed to be like sex all the time. Babylon. Babylonia, I think. Ah, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I will. I refuse to speak confidently. Yeah. As, <laughs> as do I. I, I very much. I did not pay attention during my ancient history class. 20 years ago in college. And I yeah. think Babylon is something else, but I know Sodom and Gomorrah is the other one. Yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah is a different That was thing, the yeah. fun part of it. Yeah, that. the first half of the Bible's fun, but it really jumps the shark in the sequel. That's how yeah. it always is. But the actual translation in the King James Version of the Bible was that Ham had, quote, seen his father's nakedness, which, again, according to some scholars, could be interpreted to mean that Ham had actually engaged in drunken sex with his father. Ooh, that's ham bone, all, ham oh, bone. I thank God that my algorithm hasn't gotten to there. I, it is a, a that I've always heard. I thought that was always the story is that Noah banged his sons. Should I even put this into Google? Which kid did Noah have sex with? Yeah, you can put that in the Google. But Marcus which, put much worse into Google. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just don't. I just, I'm just gonna. Uh, I'm, you heard it here first, folks. I would caution against the word. Kid. I know. I guess feel like uh well I already typed daughter. Down. Offspring. Yeah, offspring. Oh good. wow, yeah. Noah offspring. I know how to get around. Sex. Noah <laughs> offspring. <laughs> screw job. Screw. <laughs> I'm putting it in screw job. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah, it, it's bad. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nothing's good. I refuse to even put it. I can't put it in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, either way, when Noah discovered that his son had at least peeped his junk. He said, Cursed be Ham, father of the land of Canaan, and cursed be the people of Canaan, who shall hereafter be servants unto their brethren. The so-called mark of Ham was then placed on the people of Canaan, and that mark, slave owners claimed, was the dark skin of the African. Therefore, since Noah's son saw his dad's dick and Noah got all mad about it, it was totally fine to own African slaves. Wow, it was easier to be a lawyer then. <laughs> because that doesn't really, I don't, it doesn't track for me. Doesn't make much sense. No, no, no. no but that's... they also say you can't be gay or eat shrimp, so. Well, yeah. I know uh, your pretty face is going to hell. We talk a lot about how, like, if you're going to take everything literally from Leviticus, it, one of the biggest crimes is wearing the mixed linens. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Which I love. We got to. 
<laughs> polyester. It's just so crazy to think that this, because then it also, it just doesn't make sense. Would Noah then be black? No. He made him black by zapping him? Yeah, he zapped him. Oh, wow. No, God zapped him. Okay. Yeah, yeah God zapped him with the mark of ham. And then okay. they said that's that's how they explained the difference in, in skin color. That's fucking stupid. Still, um, <laughs> that's, I think it's fucking stupid. Yeah, it's yeah. really fucking stupid. Because I thought yeah. mark of ham was what you have, the hyperlipidinism. <laughs> Man, love it. <laughs> but if you use the Bible to justify enslaving people, then you also had to follow the numerous rules laid out in the Bible concerning the treatment of enslaved people. For example, one could not excessively punish or beat an enslaved person to death. And if one did so, the death had to be, quote unquote, avenged. That's the word the Bible used, avenged. But that avenging would only happen if the enslaved person died within two days of the beating. If you die within three days or four days, it's probably worse. It's much worse, but you don't have to be avenged. But yeah, by God's legal system, you're cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's also quite vague on what avenged meant. I think, honestly, the way they term it is that you would be punished by the law. You know, that's how they used it. I mean, like, if you, you know... You can't transgress because if you do, someone will, you will get punished. Yeah. Now, that's a lot of mental gymnastics to justify a horrid practice. Yeah, it's like a 100 years of fucking mental gymnastics to try to figure that out. Because people within the time period that were, there were plenty of people that didn't like it. Yeah. But they didn't know what the fuck did, you know, whatever. That's a whole thing. It's a whole literally history class that I'm not, I don't, I'm not prepared. But really, the cold hard fact that most slave owners rested on was that slavery was good for the economy, or at least good for the people who enslaved others. Oh, yeah. Now, excessive cruelty of enslaved people was technically illegal, but it was mostly just a practice that was frowned upon. Furthermore, as I said earlier, the definition of excessive cruelty and the punishments thereafter varied from location to location. In North Carolina, for instance, early statutes granted planters the right to inflict virtually unlimited violence. For whatever reason, that was codified. But in the Orleans Territory, the laws were a bit stricter, if still ultimately toothless and subjective. Acceptable punishments for enslaved people included flogging, whipping, putting a person in irons, and solitary confinement. Excessive punishment, however, included mutilation and beating that went beyond normal flogging and whipping. They also had legal parameters for the things you could use to punish someone. Like, they had to be a certain length and a certain type. But it really wasn't enforced. Well, the goal was, it depended on... Well, it's what you call the sheen of civilization. Is that like if they they could lie to themselves and tell themselves that all of this was okay if there were rules? Yes, you see, look, there's rules. Yeah, look, this is a civilization. There are rules. There are laws. We're protecting these people. Look, this is fine. One loophole to get out of it completely, however, was that these excessive punishments were usually only witnessed by other enslaved people who could not legally testify against white people for any reason. Yeah, that's the thing. All the witnesses were other people getting punished as well. Yeah. yeah. Or another guy doing the punishment as well. Yes. Yes. But in order to continue the mental gymnastics of slavery while still including enslaved people in the law, they had to come up with a designation, a sort of antecedent to the post-Civil War three-fifths compromise. Enslaved people were referred to in the law as passive beings, which was meant to describe an entity that fit between a free person and a thing that was owned by a free person. Therefore, enslaved people could be codified into the law without the law acknowledging them as actual people. Now, while Madame Lalaurie's tortures were exaggerated over the years, there were slavers who engaged in equally bizarre punishments. 
According to a formerly enslaved man named Moses Roper, his slaver in South Carolina devised a punishment involving a hogshead. This one fucks me up. This is like one of those, like, reads out of a Rob Zombie movie. Yeah. I'll get a joke ready. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. <laughs> good. Get you, pick a good one. Yeah. Well, according to the story... This sadist drove nails into a hollowed-out hogshead and forced enslaved people to wear it when they got in trouble. They would then be rolled down a long and steep hill so the hogshead nails would puncture their face and head all the way down. They would then be rolled down a long and steep hill so the hogshead nails would puncture their face and head. And another punishment, straight out of a nightmare, a fugitive named John Brown said that his slaver would suspend people by their hands above sharpened stakes that were just high enough so as to force the person to hold themselves up to avoid being stabbed. But once their arms gave out, they'd fall down upon the spikes, which would pierce their feet to the bone. The victim would then be whipped until their backs were jelly, and the wounds would be rubbed with red pepper and salt. Eddie? I feel like I'm getting hazed. Yeah, it is. <laughs> this, this, is, is a, this is an emotional so hazing. So yeah. This is your function. All right, so now you come in, you make it silly. Yeah. Right. You, yeah. But you figure out, you know, you dig deep. Get, 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 give us a, a, a short sharp. All right. Uh, how do you know if the ghost in your house died in high school? Ow. It smells like teen spirit. <laughs> you know what? That's you know, not bad. That's, that's great. I really like that. That's not bad. That's not bad it sets at all. the tone. Yeah. But in New Orleans, such actions could technically result in a judge issuing a decree that the planter had to sell everyone under his thrall, presuming guilt if the enslaved was a clear victim of excessive abuse. They did actually have a thing. It was like, oh, we don't need a witness. This person has obviously been abused. Or at least that's how it was supposed to work. Well, that's also what's fucked up, too. So it, was a, it was a monetary punishment. You know, it wasn't a, you don't go to jail. Like, no. they basically just say, like, okay, you can't have these people anymore. Yeah. But there was a provision in the law in which the slaver could clear himself, quote, by his oath. Yeah. Meaning that in most cases, the courts could only prosecute if the slaver admitted to their own guilt. And most of the time, the slavers could skate with the fine even if they were found guilty. And according to that, the Madame Lolaurie, mistress of the haunted house, one of the things that it's like, it was also pretty easy to just straight up bribe a guy. Yeah. You kind of go in and, because you remember, if you had, if you had any of this, you were rich, right? Yeah. If you owned people, it was very expensive. And it was a rich person's idea of like, it was their life. So it's like they had plenty of money to throw around to bribe people. Yeah. An enslaved person cost at this point, uh, the equivalent of $25,000. Okay. Now that's all to say that Madame LaLaurie lived her entire life in a society in which slavery was omnipresent and the degree of punishment and the overall treatment of said enslaved people was basically a matter of taste. Now, Madame LaLaurie was born Delphine McCarty on a plantation in the late 18th century in uptown New Orleans, which at the time meant anything north of Canal Street. This is where the so-called Americans lived, i.e. white people born on American soil. South of Canal Street, however, was where the Creoles lived. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although back then, Creole was simply a word for anyone not born in New Orleans or its environs. These would be the people who would eventually give New Orleans its identity. Immigrants from France, Spain, the Caribbean. The, the original white people. <laughs> <laughs> the people who made it cool. Yeah, exactly. The cool. people who gave it its personality, its flavor. Yeah. 
But they were also the same people that were like, because when the Americans started arriving, the quote unquote Americans started arriving, it was ruining the vibe. Yeah, we'll them. get to that here in yeah, a second. Yeah. To that point, though, once you got to the 19th century, the term Creole got flipped to become a racial term that meant native Louisianans of pure white blood descended specifically from French and Spanish colonists. Interestingly, though, according to family letters, travelers' accounts, newspaper stories, and court cases, Creole women mistreated the people they enslaved at a far higher rate than men. Or at least, their crimes were more heavily documented. But I do have a theory behind this. Oh yeah, I also do as well. I think it's all a question of proximity. I think the mistress of the house was in direct contact with their involuntary servants far more often than the men were. And the enslaved people the men dealt with, the people out in the fields, were more likely to be punished by an employee rather than the plantation owner directly. And then also, the woman of the house was, uh, more often than not, an abused enslaved person was a woman or a child. Because a lot of times, the the quote-unquote guy would be out there with the men enslaved people, and they would all be, they'd outnumber him. And they would also, he'd have to work with these people. That's a part of it, too, is that it's deep inside these constructs. You're just trying to keep them from flipping out. Oh, yeah. At, at any moment, one of these guys could take that farm implement he has in his hands and, and slit your fucking throat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And fucking bury you with it. Yeah. And it happened occasionally. Oh, it did. Oh, it happened quite often. Yeah. But according to one abolitionist from New York, Creole women put on a polished and respectable appearance for their guests, but were habitually cruel to those they enslaved. Madame La Lurie, of course would have taken this as simply the way things were, the way Creole women were expected to act. Well, she fit that to a T. Yeah. Madame Delphine Lalaurie really enjoyed her station in life, and she would go on to specifically position herself to be an important and intrinsic part of New Orleans society. Mm Mm-hmm. In fact, an architect named Benjamin Latrobe wrote that he personally witnessed one of Madame Lalaurie's cousins whip a woman to death. And this cousin treated another woman with such unnamed cruelty that she died shortly after. She just, I mean, it's environmental. This is how she learned. This is how you're supposed to act. Can I ask a question? Conditioning. That's what it would be. Why? What did they have there? Why do they need slaves? Uh, cotton and uh, sugar cane. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they were, they, they were the, the full free labor force that built the entire city. Okay. Yeah. Now, the woman who would become known as Madame LaLaurie came from a large, wealthy, socially powerful family that included military officers, merchants, and numerous plantation owners who had lived in New Orleans for almost a century. This is old money. All of them, of course, were also slavers. To put it into perspective, when the McCarty family arrived in New Orleans, the population of the city was 4,800. Incredibly, 3,600 people in that population were enslaved Africans. Seems like you know you don't need that many people. Well, it's the, the it's about unfettered growth. That yeah. is the we don't we are just using it to, to turn this entire turn this swamp into an American city. Yeah, turn the swamp into an American city. And also, you know, you got one guy that's making a whole lot of money. He buys a bunch of land mm-hmm. and he's like, okay, I'm gonna turn all of this shit into sugarcane. I'm gonna turn all this shit into cotton. And so yeah, you buy, you know, forty or fifty people and they do that. And they that's just what happens. And you get enough guys doing that. That's why you have about a thousand people that are, you know, free whites and thirty six hundred that are enslaved. 
Yeah, it's fucking incredible. That, that's how this whole fucking country was built. Yeah. It's kind of like a mark on our very soul that will haunt us <laughs> to the end of time. Yeah. Nothing like heavier than that. No, 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 it's yeah. not New Orleans. This is like the entire fucking South. Yeah. I mean, it's it's much of it. I mean, the White House was built by enslaved people. Like it's yeah, it's a, it's the it's the dirty fucking it's not even a dirty secret. It's just the it's kind of known the yeah. secret that we don't like to talk about and don't like to acknowledge, but it is the reality of this fucking country. I just didn't realize that there was more slaves than white people so many more certain places too yeah it really depends because this was like you know this was a harbor town and at this point are there still slaves in the north uh in 1800 i don't know again this is not a history of we don't know we don't know you're right you're right right. yeah in 1800 yeah there would have been yeah because there were still like in 1776 yeah i don't think that's a little too close right yeah yeah it's a little too close to 1776 yeah definitely now, since enslaved people far outnumbered free people, whites lived in constant fear of slave insurrections. In the case of the McCarty family, those fears were legitimized in 1771 when a relative by marriage was murdered in a revolt that was soon put down and punished severely. The leaders in that rebellion were tortured on the rack and dragged by a horse until they died. Their bodies were then displayed, quote, until consumed. That was the decree. And their hands were cut off and nailed up on a post on a public road. Basically, it's leave the bodies out there until they're skeletons. Yeah, oh, yeah. The, the crows and bugs get at it. It's yeah. very medieval. Like, it's a yeah. very, very, very old school way. Well, of, it's of, 1771. Of it's not that far off. I guess yeah. it's true. And there's a bunch of French people there. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 And Spanish. That's they, right. They, yeah. The Inquisition. For, yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing, too, is that this is very similar to what settlers in New England had been doing for over a century to the native populations who rose up against white settlers there. We talked about uh, King Philip's War uh, in our Salem series in which this type of shit was done all the time. Put the heads on the posts outside of the city gates, you know, put nail up bodies, you know, let them rot as a warning to others. It was a very common practice um, around, well, I would say Basically, the entire world. I don't think uh, Europeans and Americans are uh, singular. In I've that been doing practice. that with the spiders in my house. <laughs> yeah, <it's laughs> yeah. Leave the body out on the windowsill so the other ones could see. No, man, spiders are good for your house. Yeah. No. Yeah, they no. are. They're extremely no, good for your house. They fucking eat mosquitoes. They eat all the bad books. I kill them myself. I don't need no spider. I love my spiders. <laughs> I love my spiders too. <laughs> Now, as far as the others who participated in the rebellion that killed Madame La Lorie's relatives went, they each received anywhere between 100 and 200 lashes, and their ears were all sliced off before they were forced back into involuntary servitude. This, in Madame La Lorie's mind, was how one punished the people you enslaved. You know, I, upon reading that book, though, her family, like, in many ways, this is how you reacted to a quote unquote insurrection, right? They did this yeah. whole thing where they they go overboard, they do all this like fucked up shit, right? But largely, the rest of the family sort of kind of did it as everybody else did it, where they were very, they were more like, I don't know what the term is. They were slavers, but the goal was is like they were just like quote unquote normal slavers, mm-hmm. where what eventually she would go do, I think, was far outside of the realm of what anybody else in her family would do. Well, maybe to that point, the McCarty family also had many members who were mixed race because in the early years of New Orleans as a white settlement, there were very few white women to marry. Mixed race children took the family name. They received inheritances. 
but it's speculated by some scholars that part of Madame LaLaurie's deep hatred for black people was partly wrapped up in her hatred of so-called race mixing, which gave part of her inheritance to people she considered lesser than. Rise from your grave. Now, Madame LaLaurie had three marriages over the course of her life, and all three men were terrible in one way or another. Her first husband was Yeah, she had a taste. She had a type. She definitely had a type for a a dangerous man. Okay. Her first husband was a 35-year-old Spanish officer of the crown named Ramon Lopez Yangulo. (laughs) Aha! He married the Madame when she was just 14, and New Orleans was still owned by the Spanish. Went from it was French, then Spanish, then American. Mm-hmm. Ramon had the dubious distinction of being the man who reopened the slave trade in Louisiana in 1800 after it had been closed for four years. They tried to shut it down for a section of time, or at least the idea of bringing in outside yeah. people. Well, the Spanish tried shut the Spanish in 1797 said, like, okay, enough's enough. We need to stop this. Yeah, and then, there's 3,600 of them. There's 1,200 of us. Yeah. I think we're good. Enough's yeah. enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all fine here. But then there was a really strong uh, sugar king in cotton crop. And there, they, and then the, all of the town heads came to Ramon and said like, hey, we need more guys. Oh, would you open it back up? And so Ramon opened it back up without consulting the Spanish crown. And he actually got into quite, quite a bit of trouble uh, because of that. And it actually led to his death. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was uh, brought back to Spain. They said like big old punishment. Yeah, you're like, you're coming back to like, España. Like you fucked up. And also he wasn't uh, he wasn't supposed to marry uh, Delphine uh, McCarty at the time. He was yeah. supposed to marry her. At the, at was, the perfect marrying age of 14 years old. <laughs> and she was already a hardened bitch. Well, she would definitely become a hardened bitch. Okay. I don't think it helps. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? To get married at 14. Yeah. But he wasn't supposed to marry her because he was supposed to ask the Spanish crown for permission to marry anyone in a colony. So he was on his way back to to Spain. They stopped off in Cuba. Uh, fucking Delphine got off of the boat. Uh, Ramon stayed on. The boat hit a sandbar. It capsized. Ramon died. He oh, fucking yeah. split. He tried to. <laughs> He's sitting in the Bahamas. <laughs> he, no, man. Honestly, there, it is dubious how he died, but it is it does seem as such that this is how he died. Yeah. How did they, why did he even tell them that he married her? It got back. You know. Did they just yeah. find out, they man? They find out. Yeah. Because she came from things. a, she, her family was, again, well-landed. They were a big family within the uh, the entire area. Yeah, very rich, very well. It was a good move for him. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the Spanish crown, of course, bit of sticklers for things like that. Oh, yes. Well, Delphine, after Ramon died, returned to New Orleans to find that Louisiana had been purchased by the United States. This flooded the city with New Englanders who looked down on the white Creoles as people who lacked business sense, devoted themselves to a version of Roman Catholicism that bordered on idolatry and were addicted to frivolous pleasures. And thank God New Orleans grew out of that phase. <laughs> thank fucking thank God. God. Yeah, I can't even believe. But it's also, the, it is true, because you remember this time, people really thought Catholics were like cult members. Yeah. yeah. And you know, they are. And yeah, yeah. they are. Yeah. yeah. We, we, we're cannibals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But soon, oh yeah, both y'all just were just you were raised Catholic, right? I was we raised both, Catholic. He was a Catholic, Catholic school. Catholic yeah, yeah. My my father was Jewish, but he didn't care about anything. He was more of an atheist. Yeah. And my mom raised me Catholic because she cared. And I went to Catholic school, and it was fucking horrible. I got hit by a nun. It was sucks. Jesus. Yeah, with a car. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It was a big car. No, it was a, no. I got hit with a ruler when I dropped my pencil box in second grade. Wow. Yeah, it scarred me. I remember that shit. And yeah. then I learned how to draw every letter differently. 
And now I draw like, now I write like shit. You do. <laughs> wow, yeah. And isn't that the ultimate revenge? Yeah. Forever ignorant. Yeah. Fuck you, Sister Dolores. I know you're dead. I know you're fucking dead. See you in hell, Sister Dolores. I know the second grade teacher that I had that paddled. See, I got hit by a gigantic paddle. Oh, like, wow. The full paddle with the holes in it and everything. Oh, wow. So yeah. you got classically beat. Oh, yeah. I got beat a lot by really? teachers. Yeah, public school, too. No shit. Back oh. in the day. Wow. Texas. Yeah, man. Yeah, up until like I think the last paddling I got, like the it was the year two thousand. What? Wow. Yeah, there was still, that's fucking real. That's yeah, real too, that's too soon. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, I was a seventeen. Y two K, you're getting spanked. Y two K, getting spanked by a full grown man. Whoa, that's I feel like there's something else in there. Yeah, and then you sign the paddle afterwards. That was the always the weirdest thing about it. That and then you the, like, and then every and you kind of laugh and like shake hands. It was weird. That is weird. I don't like yeah. this. Yeah. I feel icky. It was your, a strange ritual. Your story yeah. seems worse than mine. It does. <laughs> <laughs> you got paddled at 17. Yeah, 17 and 7. Both. Wow, I would have freaked out. I think at 17 and years old. in between. You wouldn't be like, I'm a man now. At 7? Yeah, 17. At 17. No, well, that is the weird thing about it because you are both sort of grown men. And, you know, and you do have to bend over while this other grown man, like, smacks you on the ass three times. Uh, real hard, uh, and then I've, and then you have to like pretend like it doesn't hurt, and then you shake his hand, and he thank shakes you, yours. sir. May I have another type of deal? It's not thank you, sir. May you have another? It's like you got to show him that you're a man, and uh, then he's, he's like, he's like, like yeah, show you're him gonna... how tight and hard your bottom is. No, well, yeah, you're hard. How is invisible that why your, your bottom is so good. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> first BBL. <laughs> no, 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 no. There was plenty of skinny asses that got hit hard. Wow. Yeah, yeah but the big fat ass that I have. Did make the paddlings more bearable. Well, I take it back. I hope you're still alive, Sister Dolores. <laughs> Fuck you, Sister Dolores. I hope you're dead. I know she listens. <laughs> I know she listens. <laughs> but soon after the future Madame La Lorie returned to New Orleans, she married a Frenchman named Jean-Paul Blanc on her 20th birthday in March of 1807. Now, just like the Madame's first husband, Jean-Paul Blanc was also involved in the slave trade, although Blanc was far more hands-on. Basically, if there was a profession in which there was an opportunity to be crooked, Blanc took it for a spin. You mean a real American. Goddamn, yeah. he was very much a real American. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was a merchant, a lawyer, a banker, a state legislator. Anything wow. that requires lives. <laughs> <laughs> and an associate of the infamous pirates Jean and Pierre Lafitte. Jean Lafitte. Yeah, Jean Lafitte, man. I love Jean Lafitte, man. He, he runs the Pirates of the Caribbean. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, it's yeah the bit. You, you take off from Lafitte's landing. You see, Lafitte, I don't know that. I've never Jean been on Pirates. You've never been on Pirates of the Caribbean. He's never I've been. I've only been to Disneyland once. But you go on the one with all the rapists and the murderers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I went Jean... for Star Wars. <laughs> the thing is that Jean Lafitte kind of had his history so because he helped us during the fucking, was the War 1812 yeah. or some garbage. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we'll get to it here in a second. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but he was not a great guy. Jean Lafitte, <laughs> Disney's own. <laughs> Disney loves to claim him, <laughs> especially with all the human trafficking. <laughs> but above all, Jean-Paul Blanc was a smuggler of illicit goods. And after the African slave trade was officially abolished in 1808, he added human trafficking to his resume. And it's estimated that he entered almost 400 people into bondage. He did, interestingly enough, also play a fairly large part in American military history. During the pivotal Battle of New Orleans during the War of 1812, it was Madame LaLaurie's husband 
who convinced Jean Lafitte yeah. to join in on the side of the Americans against the British. It's really fucking weird about how this is a massively important part. Like, things could have really changed in the history of the United States of America if we lost this war. Like, it's like a whole thing, but it was uh, kind of all dependent upon the negotiation tactics of slavers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even just this war. It's this battle. Like, you know, if we lost this battle and still won the war, because, well, no one won the war. It was a draw. Yeah. Uh, but the thing is that the Battle of New Orleans made a celebrity out of the man who led America to victory. Andrew Jackson, Ooh. the man on the $20 bill. Old Ooh. Hickory. He's a good guy. No, no he's not. I know. No. <laughs> <laughs> that guy. I love that guy. That guy. Yeah, yeah. Eddie. <laughs> Eddie, please. <laughs> but that's the thing is that had Madame LaLaurie's husband not intervened and brought the pirates in, Jackson may have never had the national profile to become president. Like, it's so much weird. These, It's one of those fucking hinge points of history. That was his version of The Apprentice. For for our former president. Oh, yeah. that's what made him famous. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And Trump had the Russian mafia as well, yeah, which yeah, is like the pirates. <laughs> no, the Actually, I think it was Joan Rivers. It was fucking <laughs> Tommy, what was his, like Tommy Lee, and technically were his, was his Jean Lafitte. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Madame and Jean Blanc were married for about a decade, but in the early 1820s, Blanc simply disappeared, leaving behind a debt of $3.3 million in today's currency. I think the debt had something to do with it. I think the debt had everything to do with it. Yeah. But it might be tempting to say that Madame LaLaurie was a black widow because she did have two husbands in a row either die or disappear. But nah, eh. Jean Blanc probably just fucked off to another part of the world to avoid the debts because 3.3 mil is a big yeah. fucking marker. I'd run. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, Ma yeah. Madame LaLaurie, according to the book, Madame LaLaurie, Mistress of the Haunted House, there's really no evidence that she killed anybody that was like, Bigger or stronger than her. No. Um, and she, especially her husband, she kind of depended upon them for status, money. You, I think it's more just like she started real early. And if you are a child bride, like you got a lot more opportunity for husbands to die. You really do. Yeah. Especially yeah. if you're a child bride in the late 18th century. Oh, yeah. Yeah. This all sounds very Game of Thrones. Oh, yeah. it's it, it just stopped being Game of Thrones. Yeah. yeah. The whole world just stopped being Game of Thrones like. 150 years ago. Oh, yeah. Man, that's great. <laughs> We're learning. We're growing. <laughs> yeah, we are. But it could also be that since Jean-Paul Blanc was a smuggler, slaver, and a pirate, he might have just been fucking killed. Like, oh, yeah. Guys mm -hmm. like that die. Yeah, he could have got got. Yeah, he could have got got by another guy, another pirate. Who knows? Swashbuckled to death. Yeah, <laughs> yeah man. It's the hardest way to keep your pants up. <laughs> but either way, Jean-Paul's death was a huge net negative for the madame. Simply put, the madame had no motive for killing either of her husbands. No, it fucked up her whole life. When yeah. he died and left her saddled with the debt. But that's kind of when she stood up. She kind of like, I, I was saying this to Natalie. She's like, she's, she girl bossed it. You know what I mean? She was such a girl boss because she showed up and he's like, you know, she was like, I could see them doing the fucking like, you know how every villain movie's now about how great they are and yeah. how misunderstood they are? I could definitely see Emma Stone playing <laughs> Delphine LaLaurie coming in and you hear like, you know, like, you know, I'm unstoppable. It's just Sia comes playing over the, the like her scene of her like understanding she needed to sell all her holdings. She became like a real estate maven and became sort of a very cunning businesswoman during this time period at the age of something like 20, where she had to figure out what the fuck was going on uh, and, and basically get all the money back. Yeah. 
She wasn't 20. She was more like 35. Was that, oh, yes, yeah, that's she was right. Like 30, she was actually, she was like 40. Yeah, but still, girl boss. Unstoppable. <laughs> <laughs> Does girl boss include uh, being saved because you inherit all of your father's estates? I think so, implicitly. <laughs> yeah, actually. Yeah? Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Tori Spelling. No, that's true, yeah. <laughs> She's good. <laughs> <laughs> But while the future of Madame was almost ruined by Jean Blanc's debts, her problems were soon solved when her father died and she inherited a massive fortune, multiple plantations, and a massive number of enslaved people. Now, despite rumors that Madame LaLaurie's parents had been massacred in a slave insurrection at Saint-Domingue, Saint-Domingue, Saint-Domingue? I don't know. <laughs> Saint-Domingue. Saint-Domingue. Yeah, or that her cruel mother had been murdered by those she held in bondage while she was returning to her plantation in her carriage one night. Both parents died natural deaths. Yeah, they just died. Yeah. What really mattered was the fortune, because by the mid-1820s, at the age of 45, Madame LaLaurie was independently wealthy and terribly powerful. That, perhaps, is why she chose her next husband, the man who would give her the surname that would be synonymous with torture and murder for centuries to come. It's a very, this is one of those, like, mistress at the heart of this, because we don't really know why they got together no. or how they found each other, because they were very, very different. And uh, I know what he got out of it, but I'm not sure what she got out of it, except for that dick. It is. Did she did get that dick? I I have some theories. Well, they both uh, had money and power, right? He did not. Let's let's get into it. Fifteen years younger than the Madame, Louis Lalaurie was from a middle class family in France who had studied medicine at the Sorbonne in Paris. Ooh. But he had immigrated to Louisiana to seek his fortune. Now it isn't known exactly how Madame and Louis Lalaurie met because Louis was by no means a member of upper-crust Creole society. He was, in effect, a nobody, and had barely begun to establish a practice in New Orleans. The pretty certain, it's one, number one, is that he was pretty, like, no, he was known to be handsome. Yes. He cut a dashing figure. He was new from France, and everybody loved that horseshit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He probably had a little mustache or a little beard. He was freshly, he was like, you know, the Sorbonne was a big fucking deal at yeah. the time. Yeah. And it seems like maybe he got invited into one of these parties or circles, and she, like, saw him. She was like, me oh, want the, the balls. <laughs> and, you know, and then jumped on it. Yeah. So he was like a little Cunanan. A little tiny Cunanan. Cunanan, yeah. yeah. Okay, good. He's Cunanan. Just looking for that punani. Punani <laughs> for the punani. <laughs> well, it's speculated that Madame LaLaurie was seeking a medical specialist to treat an orthopedic condition suffered by one of her children, a curvature of the spine. And Dr. LaLaurie may have been trying to set himself apart by specializing in medical abnormalities and deformities. It was considered like the fucking height of technology at the time, yeah. what he was doing. It was the most fucking, you know, like it was brand new shit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, as author Carolyn Morrow put it, Louis LaLaurie was an inconspicuous, colorless non-entity, a meek, mousy little man who cowered at his wife's every word. And he may have been just that, or oh, at least yeah, yeah, partly yeah. that. Oh, yeah. But other evidence says that the madame was quite engaged by the young doctor, who promised that he could fix her child's debilitating ailment. Now, for Lord knows what reason, Madame LaLaurie has her defenders, or at least people who try to play down how awful she really was. It mostly seems to come from the neighboring families and other people wanting to try to preserve the purity of the of their culture, of yes. their groups of people. Antebell yeah, antebellum New Orleans, yeah. But these people, their defense always involves Dr. LaLaurie. 
According to their defenders, the screams that were often heard coming from the LaLaurie mansion were not from enslaved people being tortured, but were instead the screams of the madame's young daughter being tortured under the guise of medical treatment. I, I don't think that they were separate. Nah. Yeah. Is it better? <laughs> I always remember <laughs> that. For, for your own good. For your own good. <laughs> My sister used to have hair all the way down past her butt, mm -hmm. right? And so... But she used to scream. My mom used to brush her hair and she would scream. She got very thick hair. Oh, yes. And I always remember the neighbors would come like we were beating the shit out of her. But it's just like, no, nah, that would have been fucking cool. <laughs> no, we weren't, though. No. See, Dr. LaLaurie was a practitioner of an antecedent to orthopedics called orthopraxy. Yeah, dude. Which depended on, according to a textbook teaching the practice, the mechanical treatment of deformities, debilities, and deficiencies of the human frame. Mechanical being the operative word here. Oh, very much so. In other words, this was a medical treatment in that terrifying experimental age of medicine in the 19th century where they would try anything. Dude, I'm looking at the machines right now that they used. It's the rack, right? It, it is basically, one was the rack that had two loops. So basically you'd hold onto a bar, your feet, we're strapped into this like pulling mechanism. And then they have two different leather belts that would be strapped on different sections of your spine. And that was for scoliosis. So one crank would move one belt the other way. The other crank oh. would move the other belt the other way. And then they would slowly stretch you to align the vertebrae. And it would just, the goal was to break and snap your bones and a way to put it together. But his main purpose in life was to quote unquote, destroy the hunchback. <laughs> and then his whole thing was that that's what orthopraxy was all about. It was like just getting rid of hunches. I mean, and, please. But look at how they did it. This is another machine where you lay down on essentially like what you'd like a rowing machine where it's got two wooden planks sticking out of the, this giant wooden structure where the hunch would sit on the one side of the plank and the other fucking the other plank would dig up into the top of your ass. And then you would strap you all the way down onto it. And then you use that thing to sort of snap you forward to try to end the hunt, punch the hunch up. And he said, don't worry. He's like, as soon as we start, don't worry. It only takes about two to three years of this. <laughs> this is real. To, to change your back. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. At this point, like, they're just trying anything. They're just past, like, fucking bashing someone in the head with the rock and throwing them in the ditch if something was wrong with them. Or selling them to the freak show. So, yeah, I bet the daughter was screaming. Yeah. Because I don't doubt that he was, because there was orthopraxic machines in the house. Yeah. And because orthopraxy was a mechanical treatment, some of the torture devices found in Madame LaLaurie's house, like strange braces and rack-like mechanisms, were explained away as orthopraxy instruments that have been used to stretch and rotate the madam's daughter to bring her spine back into proper alignment. Which I don't think is incorrect, but I also don't think that those things were being used properly all the time. No. Because as we'll see in the next episode, one of the main enslaved people that had direct contact with Madame LaLaurie was a woman referred to as the hunchback. Mm -hmm. But after a period of courtship, the madame married Dr. LaLaurie in 1831 and soon purchased a lot at 1140 Royal Street. It was here that she built the small mansion that would eventually come to be known as the most haunted house in America. And that is where we'll pick back up for part two of Madame LaLaurie. And next week, we're going to get into what we believe to be real and not real. We're going to go deeper into the ghost stories that were involved around this house. Uh, but if you're in New Orleans, y'all know, 
Y'all know that that place is creepy as fuck. And next week, we're really going to see why it was considered to be and continues to be creepy as fuck. I love it, man. I mean, I love the there's a ghost thing that we're talking about. I don't know what it happened. <laughs> That's great cover. Yes. <laughs> but man, we, it's Halloween. This is it. Uh, what are you dressing up as? I think I'm going as uh, a warrior type. Hmm. I think I'm going as Conan the Barbarian. Okay. Nice. Uh, what summer camp does Johnny Depp kill camp counselors at? What? Camp Crystal Meth. <laughs> Wow. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, hey. Thank you. Well, yeah. good. Give me another. I want to hear another. I got, I got these. You know, I wrote them down. Uh, why Why is it so hard for Michael Myers to have sex? Why? He has a Halloweenie. <laughs> <laughs> All weenies are Halloween. Not really. We got tubes. There's, there's a, there is a tube, but there's meat. Yeah. Hmm. It's a muscle. Side stories, LPOTL at gmail.com. Oh, is your weenie ha- hollow? Are yeah. hollow? I don't think it's just a bag that like fills up with blood. I think it's blood vessels that become engorged. But there's two. There's a urethra. Yeah. I view that it's like where the cream goes. Oh, where the cream goes. Yes. Well, you can hear these jokes and more. I'll be on tour this week. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm going to be think. in Chicago on on uh, November 1st with Jeff at the 312 Comedy Festival opening up for Take a Banana for the Ride. And the same thing with the New York Comedy Festival, November 3rd through 5th. I love that. I absolutely love that. Also, check out Operation Sunshine at your local comic book store. It is out there from Dark Horse. Go to your local comic book, order it by name, and I'll give it to you. And if not, I'll fucking come to that place myself and I'll burn it down. That's amazing. Yep. Or just, you know, you could also put like number two on your pull list. Make sure you get it next I'm time. I'm just saying I'm willing. You could probably order it online. Too. I'm willing to go all the way. But go to your local comic book store. It's better that way. It's better no that way. stone unturned. <laughs> all right. I don't care. I use every tactic in the book. All right. That's it. Hail uh, Satan. Yeah. Hail Gene. Hail your mama. <laughs> That's, I hate this. We're trying. <laughs> I'm trying this a new one. Is, hey, this is a different. I'm not ready for this one. Because it does sort of be like, hey, I guess, uh, hell your mama. Uh, I love you. What you want? You don't want, you don't want hell your mama? Honestly, I tell, some people don't like their mother. Yeah, that's true. I love my mom. I'll, I'll hail my mother. Yes, thank you. Hail mother. Hail mother. I already have given her enough. Ooh. Ooh. I've given her enough. Yeah. I'm going to tell her. I'm gonna tell you didn't hail her. Fuck. I'm gonna tell you. you. Dead on you. She's gotten enough. (laughs) Hail Satan. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. 